0: Hey there, welcome to ATLM29, a Peace Troops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Shenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We are recording late on a Friday night, early on a Saturday morning, depending on the time zone. After the Hawks completed the planned tournament successfully. And they are going to be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Glenn, I have an idea. Yes, sir. If the Miami fans come up with any creative chance that involves Trey Young, they should use a language that he doesn't understand—Czech, Portuguese—I I don't know. Come up with something. Yeah, I, the, He's not the uh, person to uh, to draw to to irk his ire, as no, Cleveland fans did.
1: Yeah, I uh, I remember it from New York last year. I, I think we heard it from Philly fans last year too, right? They, I mean, and, and it's something for Philly fans to pick up something from New York fans. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember if that was a thing in Milwaukee. I, I've been to games in Milwaukee a lot of times and the fans. there are by and large, so nice. Um, and, and kind of pleasant. Um, uh, this postseason environment. So that may have been, there may have been some of that, but I don't remember kind of as much there, but there was a lot of it tonight. And uh, it, it tends to not go
0: well for the home crowd when, when that breaks out. Trey likes to be determined. And when you give him something to be determined against, he 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 has a, a place he can go to. And not, not many players have that place that they can go to. No doubt. Uh, so tell me about this basketball game.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, I I have to be transparent, and say that when Clint got hurt, I thought, man, how are they, how are they going to do this? And um, I, you and I both have a lot of confidence in the Congo, but I, I thought, well, fouls might be an issue here. Um, you know, how's this going to work out? Kind of a Congo carrying all of that load in the second half, especially against a team that does so much work on the offensive of glass, plays such big lineups. It just seemed like it was kind of a recipe for disaster. But they figured it out um you know and uh you know it, Trey uh kind of in the first half in the second quarter especially when they were kind of getting some offensive rhythm it was through his passing he wasn't making shots but there towards the end of the first quarter I sorry the end of the third quarter then going in the fourth quarter he really found a rhythm shooting the basketball and getting to his spots I made a note here that you, uh, you know yeah you might you're I don't know if you're in the number one where fan in the world, but you are got to be like top 10, top 15, somewhere in there, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think Gorgie really made a big difference for Trey. I mean, you know, we, we watch all the time, Kevin, Clint and Anyeka and JC like to slip. They like to keep things moving fast. They like to kind of draw um, kind of the defender away, especially if there's a – looks like there's going to be a switch. They'll carry the defender that Trey wanted off of him. And Gorgie is just, we talked about this even before the season started, watching him in Afro basketball. he's just a little slower, a little more methodical, you know, compared to those guys. And I think that pace helped Trey out, because uh, Gorgie came on with 321 to go in the third quarter. Before that, Trey was four for 14 from the floor, including one for seven on threes. He had eight assists, four turnovers, and just 10 points on 14 uh, shooting possessions. After Gorgie came on, and that is exactly when his rhythm showed up, 9 for 11, including 3 for 4 from 3, 7 for 8 from the free throw line, 28 points on 15 shooting possessions. I think he had just one assist uh, at that point in time. So I think Trey kind of slowed everything down around how uh, he was you know, using the ball screen and kind of finding his angle. And I just that's not coincidental to me. And I just think that the front pace – for the way that the Cavaliers like to play defense really kind of unlocks some stuff for Trey and Trey was phenomenal. Um, But it's just kind of funny how an injury that makes you go, Oh man, can they do it? Kind of turns into, you know, uh, kind of down the line, some sort of variable that would not have been there if not for that injury. Um, And and, who could say for sure Trey would have just figured it out anyway, because he's Trey and he often does, but that, that being the point where, He found his angles. He found his spots. He found his rhythm was just, I think, an absolutely massive kind of turning point in the game. It's, um, you know, I made the comment on Twitter. A lot of teams have a young guy as their third big. And, you know, thankfully, you know, for for the Hawks in this situation, they had a really experienced big to turn to when they needed someone to give them some minutes behind a congo in this case. And have, being able to turn to Gorgie, who hadn't played, felt like he hadn't played any real minutes in a month and a half or something like that. He came on and was it was just competent and solid. And what he does just seemed to kind of unlock uh, whatever it was that Tree needed to kind of develop the uh, rhythm he needed to close this game out in total control.
0: I kind of agree with you. Uh, like you, you mentioned the pace, like playoff pace is. And the deliberation of playoff pace is more Gorgie style than what regular season basketball is like. And I I can kind of see that. I I didn't think I was going to say this phrase, uh, but you've led me to it. Like, I I think maybe we're giving Gorgie a little bit too much credit. Like he justified his entire contract for the season in one game by getting the Hawks an entire seven game series uh, ahead of them. But you know, I I was one of the things that really surprised me in the second half was the the ease at which Cleveland was just conceding these switches with Markinen. Like Trey would come up the court with somebody else guarding him, and like Markinen was just like, Yeah, okay, I, I know this was just coming. Okay, I'll take it. Like it was just right. It, it was like like a prisoner getting a sentence. Like there was just no fight in like making that switch not happen like it just happened over and over and over again just relentlessly and it's like you know you could try to not let him have that switch like i don't know but but i mean you know credit to gorgian and like you said with the kongwu you know i had total faith in like a kongwu's ability to defend in this game but I was worried about, you know, number one, foul trouble, mm-hmm. and, and number two, rebounds. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, I think what really helped the Hawks in this case, uh, it's hard, almost hard to, to verbalize this, but, you know, I guess for starters, Cleveland, you know, compared to other, I guess we can't call this the playoffs, but other postseason teams, uh, isn't a very good offense. You know, you look at the twenty teams or whatever that made it to to at least the play in. It's not a very good offense. I mean, Garland's great. They just don't give him a ton to work with, right. and I think that helped. But I think you know one thing that's kind of underrated that I think really helped the Hawks with their defensive rebounding was how you know and, and and a lot of this you know starts with what DeLon Wright was doing is that they were defending so well that the shots were just atrocious. Like they, they weren't even like you, if you get a good shot, if you make a team help, if you make them rotate, you're increasing your odds of getting that offensive rebound because then guys are getting out of position. They were defending so well that they weren't having to get out of position. And the, the quality of the shots, I mean, they were just some absolute bricks with two on the shot clock, one the shot clock. Sometimes they didn't get a shot off at all. It was just a turnover. And, like, you don't have to worry about your defensive rebounding as much in those situations because it's just, you know, they, it, this, the shots, they were barely hitting the rim where they were hitting hard. And, you know, nobody was getting out of position where it was going to have to be a challenge to reestablish some sort of box out. I mean, everybody was just really where they wanted to be as soon as the shot went up. And and I thought that really helped them.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought the biggest difference defensively um, in the second half, uh, in addition to more DeLon, um, you know, just being right in the thick of it was um, in the first half, their point of attack defense was so bad that they were having a point from the weak side so early and it was freeing up wide open three-point shots. So like Marco and was shooting forever over there. Not just him, but he's the one I think most Hawks fans remembering me, too. But in the second half, I, it looked like the Hawks just decided, okay, whoever the defender is in the pick and roll is not going to be able to do that on their own. So they were walling, the, the basically putting a, a three-man wall right there around the nail, around the depth of the free, free throw line, and saying, we're not going to try to do this with one defender anymore. We're going to do it with three defenders. And it, it really prevented both the ball handler from driving through the paint and um, you know, the, the big man from getting to the rim unencumbered as well. And it just bought more time to kind of manage that space on the weak side um, so that um, everything kind of, kind of just worked out better. So that walling off was good. It helped them stay connected much, much more. They were so disconnected defensively uh, in the first half um and, and such so it was uh just i mean much more cohesion and kind of connectedness in the second half and, that, and just walling that off i thought it made a big difference and i think that they would not have done that as well um without kind of delon really cementing that technique for them and kind of getting them established um on that end of the core getting them organized in that way on that end of the court, even when I know Hawks fans were ready to see kind of Hunter just sit on the bench for the rest of the game. At one point, he had a better third quarter in this game, just like he did against Charlotte, but he was, once he came back in the fourth quarter, Hunter was very good defensively uh, down the stretch and, and kind of, kind of made, made a big, big impact there. So I just thought their team defense in the second half was miles and miles and miles better than it was in the first half. And it came down to, Walling off ball handlers using that wall also to impact the big man diving to the rim, and just having some defensive spacing that gave you a little bit better chance to close out on shooters on the perimeter if the ball works its way out there. And and it was interesting in the first half it was the wide open threes on the on the sides and on the weak side right. Yep. A lot of times in the second half when they had a shot right up against the shot clock or a guy caught the ball too late, it was those shooters on the side that was getting that ball much, much, much later in the shot clock. Um, and a lot of that was just the traffic that they were generating defensively in the middle, which was night and day different from what went on in the first half. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it was. it's interesting to have Capella go out. Um, and, you know, and I, I talk a lot about how one of the indicators of a team that's mature or maturing, you know, is stay together through adversity. Just keep fighting, keep working, keep doing the basics, keep sticking to the fundamentals. And, you know, Trey really didn't find his offensive rhythm until late in the third, but they were playing really, really good defense, like the whole third quarter, and just kept them close enough. And once Trey kind of got his rhythm, it was kind of uh, his game um, from there on in. Of course, I don't want to not acknowledge that the Cavs found some footing late, made a real push, you know there at the end and was just really impressed with them as a young team that hasn't been in this set art before that they, that they were good. But I, I think, you know, another big difference in addition to Trey just taking over the game, uh, the defensive play of the second half was when it got down to the very, very end, the Hawks were in this environment numerous times last year in the playoffs. Cavs haven't been here before. And I thought that made a difference in execution at the very end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I... <clears throat> There were a lot of really good defensive performances in the the second half. I thought of Kongwu, you know, <coughs> did a ton. Hunter Hunter did a ton. They had they he and Trey had like a mix up trying to execute a scram switch mm-hmm. to get Hunter low and Trey high. And even then, it was like right intentions, but I don't know if it was the crowd noise or if it was just a really ill timed. But you know even then like you're making a mistake, but you're trying to do the right thing. Right. Uh, Gallo was making good decisions. There were a couple of minutes where it looked like either he got tired or, or something, but he, he was doing stuff and, and, and Bogey was making some really good reads, like some really, he had some rotation. I think he had Mark Jackson talk, commenting about it. He said, wow, that was a really good defensive possession. And I think the key play in there was, you know, just kind of some ball pressure up top and then, because the ball pressure was good, the pass floated a little bit. And Bogey's rotation was just, I think he froze Marking in it, like the free throw line, because he just got right on him so that he really couldn't, he couldn't even like dribble if he wanted to, just because there was no space there. Cause cause Bogey just kind of said, Okay, I'm taking this spot, you catch the ball, but now you really don't have anywhere to go. Like it, there, there were there was a lot of good defense in the second half. And in the first half. You know, it was such a weird setup, like, you know, I kind of like what Cleveland did, which was it felt like they were trying to make it so that the Hawks had nowhere to hide Trey. So they played Lavert Garland, and the three bigs, mm-hmm. and that's that makes sense. It's like, well, who, do, who in there do you want Trey guarding? And, you know, he was on Garland some in the first half. In the second half, it felt like it was mostly Levert, which ended up being sort of the right place. It felt like Levert couldn't hurt them from deep, at least, which made it a little bit easier for Trey. Right. Um, But there was a penalty for that for the Cavaliers, which is that, okay, you didn't start Okoro, but you still want him in the rotation. You want to use rondo and you want to use a coro and it it just felt like their bench lineup wasn't set up for success and it felt like bogey was the beneficiary uh and i don't know if it necessarily benefited him but just the fact that you know the off the, the cleveland offense sputtered uh, to the point where they were getting a few misses and then bogey just kind of put his blinders on and said you know every, everything is smoldering around me but i'm just gonna make smart decisions on offense and do my thing and he he kind of held it together for them in in the really the one moment of weakness for Cleveland in the first half when they went to that lineup.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, I, Rondo almost had to play because they just needed more ball handling with sexton out and to then not having the kind of the, the guard depth. And Levert um you know, offers some creativity, some individual creativity, the opposite creation and things like that. But he even as a ball handler, he's pretty average i guess i would say you know kind of at best um uh, so rondo had to play and he apart from just the safe ball handling he really gave them no offensive punch at all which just nothing at all and as you described a few minutes ago when he was on trey and they were forcing the switch i mean classic rondo was just gonna like muck that up fight real hard and try to make it hard. And that just didn't happen either for for whatever reason, so the Hawks getting big play from Bogdanovich off the bench and DeLon off the bench and congo off the bench and, you know, Kevin Love really is not a, a, a guy you can play in defense right now, especially, uh, right. you know, if the only thing he can do really is drop and, you know, Trey mm-hmm. eats that up, you know, so he was right. kind of not playable in a way in this game, so. You know, I mean, who knows how this would have gone if Sexton was a healthy player and they had the other punch, you know, in the guard. But I felt like Cleveland just down the stretch just didn't have enough guard play. They just didn't have enough guard play. I'm sure that's one of the reasons they made move for Levert was that was a OADs, the Rubio contract to, you know, to kind of bring in some sort of help in whatever form it was available. Um, But they're going to have to kind of of sort that out. But Cleveland, just like you said, you know, it's kind of funny with this Hawks team last year, this year. Knicks, flawed offensive team. Sixers last year, flawed offensive team. Um, Milwaukee kills you with defense in transition. They're playing in the offensive half court up and down for a team of their stature, right? Um, right. And now, you know, here, you know, we drew these, uh, you know, two games. And in, the, in this case, a, a limited, you know, Cavs team, um, you know, tonight uh which is different from charlotte you know charlotte is yeah as
0: to say charlotte's a pretty dynamic offense when they really yeah want a, to a, be a lot like, of they, a,
1: a lot of limitations on defense for them right, right but exactly. you know this is a this was another kind of are we going to extend our season or not and it was another team that was just limited enough on offense that the hawks defensive capabilities were were enough and especially in the second half with the effort, the connectivity and the fundamentals that, that really kind of choked up the, the Cleveland offense. So it was um, I thought the Hawks overcame a lot. I was impressed with Cleveland to still push back at the very, very end and almost get it, you know, for especially for a young team with that playoff experience. But it's a fun game overall. But being the trade just was head and shoulders, the best player the court tonight. And that really may really matter in the last quarter and a half or so.
0: Uh, I haven't given you a lot of time to think about it, but what, what do you think about Hawks Heat? A, a strange series with a lot of injury question marks, uh, and it's a one-eight series. It starts Sunday.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's it's a really interesting series. And I, I said on Twitter tonight, I, I'm I'll probably have to do a prediction sometime tomorrow. I, I predict I'll predict all the first round series. By the end of the day tomorrow, and put it on Twitter. Just, just my thoughts and little analysis and things like that. But to start with, I think this is in no way, shape, or form your typical one versus eight. Um, it's uncommon for the best player. So I should say the best offensive player in this series to obviously be on the eight C team. I think it's fair to say also the best player in the series. I think all so, yeah. phases is on the eight C team. And this AC team has a lot of guys who were on the team that went all the way to the conference finals last year. So this is not your typical one versus eight. Um, uh, right now, I don't see how, You know, if, if I were to want to talk myself into saying, I think the Hawks are going to win this series, or I think the Hawks are the more, most likely winner, a few, a few things there. I don't know how much JC is going to play in the series. We don't know that, right? We don't know what Capella status is. And if, if listeners haven't watched the Hawks game Capella got injured with about a minute left or or under a minute left in the second quarter, I think. And it looked, looked kind of ugly. Um, The only word I saw tonight was shared by Woj that there's some optimism that it's not too bad, but we don't have any idea what that might mean for this coming series.
0: And the initial diagnosis was a hyperextension. Uh, I think it was his right knee and it was basically uh, a player falling into the front of his kneecap. Exactly. it was it was a little like the honest injury last year wasn't it oh very similar I think. yeah yeah I thought so too so
1: so that's so that's tough um, in addition to that the Hawks played two playing play games um, between I guess it was Wednesday and Friday and they played the first game on Sunday um, for whatever the schedules were scheduling reason that is and then starting Sunday a team that has some injuries to deal with, Played twice in the last three days. Starting Sunday, they play four games in eight days. So they are going to be much uh, more fatigued coming into the series, playing the first two games on the road. Capella don't even know if he plays in the series at all. JC don't know if he plays in the series at all. So the Hawks have so much working up against them. That said, I kind of like the matchup because. The, game, the series that the Hawks won last year were like, oh, here's a team with some offensive flaws. Here's a team that can kind of cap themselves offensively in that 105-point range that the Hawks can kind of get past that number if they're playing to their standard kind of at all, right? And, of course, Miami's a very good defensive team, um, but it's, it's just going to be a fascinating matchup. I'll, I'll need some time to work through tomorrow. Uh, I you know, the way that I approach kind of a prediction and not not that I like spend a whole lot of time there. I just like to put some analysis and thought out there is like, what is the percentage likelihood? So I I presume I'll land with Miami being the most likely winner of the series for some of the factors I just listed, but is it 55% likely, 70% likely somewhere in between those two numbers? You know, what do I think, what do I think that is? Um, And, but I also think, the deeper this gets, the more risk there is for Miami, you know, because the Hawks showed against Philly last year that they can, you know, raise their level of play in game six and then going into game seven, um, you know, and Philly matched that in game six last year. Um, and they got a surprise win without Trey, you know, against the Bucks, kind of, I think it was game five, if I'm remembering correctly there. And so this team has shown that if you let them get a win or two, in those first, you know, four games, um, what have you, and let this kind of get deep, that they're going to come at you with everything that they have, and I think Miami has some vulnerabilities there. So, my guess is that I'll, I'll probably put Miami in that sixty percent likely range, which is not a normal range, I think, for a one versus eight. But that's kind of kind of how I see it. How about you?
0: Yeah, that seems about right. Uh, there, there's a lot. There are a lot of question marks going into it. But yeah that that seems about right. The, the thing about Miami is you know they're a great defensive team. They'll they'll be able to give Trey a lot of looks on defense. They have you know they the the great things that they can do with sort of Bam at the elbow in the dribble handoff game. And that that's you know that can really be something and you have to game plan for that and you know, it's something that can tilt your defense a little bit. But mm. at the same time, like, Miami's so weird in that their their ball handling just isn't scary. Like, not you were talking about Cleveland not really having ball handlers. Like, you know, in Lowry and Butler, like, they have the ball handling. You're not worried about turnovers. You're not worried about passing. But, like, there's something rickety about it in the sense that, like, they don't have a lot of speed on the ball. Right you know, Lowry's just not quick at this point with the ball. Butler, you know, is quicker than Lowry, but the fact that he can't make a jump shot kind of slows him down because you can kind of <clears> back <throat> off a step and say, yeah, if you want the jumper, uh, go ahead and take it. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'm going to be two feet behind you over here. So when you take that first step, I'm going to have time to uh, adjust to it. So it, it, it just feels like they're not dynamic, with their ball handlers. Like, you know, Cleveland just didn't have a volume of them. And it It just, but with Miami, it just doesn't seem like they're dynamic enough. And you know, I'm always, it was the case tonight. It was the case in like 70 out of 82 games. I'm fixated on moving screens and, and how they call that. And because it, you know, it's, it's the beginning of the leverage point of, you know, how much rotation do you have to do after that? And so, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to, to refereeing. Like how do they call when Lowry's moving his screens, when Lowry's hooking elbows with people Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something to keep an eye on, but you know, it, it's uh, you know, I'm not, not blaming that ahead of time. I'm just saying that, you know, it's, it's something that's going to matter and it's going to matter a lot here because it's, it's going to, dictate the way that Miami can get an edge when they have the ball in their hands, because it's not just going to come from the, the dynam, dynamism, can I use that as a noun, of, of their ball handlers.
1: Yeah, and they and they really kind of run an inward offense in that they lift their shooters from the corner up yes. the floor, right? And if you overplay that, they will flip the action and kind of move them like through like a veer, a reverse action that turns into like a veer screen. And you have okay. to play that screen there near the three-point break really, really well. Um, and they'll they'll back cut you if you put both yep. defenders high. You know, they have all that sophisticated stuff. But it is really kind of a, you know, for those that are old enough, remember like a Princeton offense where we're relying on cutting and finding the defense overplaying and finding that path to the basket and then if the guy with the ball, like Bam, uh, you know, they're, if they're in three-man action and you leave the middle of it, he'll just put the ball in the court like Draymond did back in the lawyers heyday not that long ago, and just
0: dribble straight through and dunk it, right? So they have all of Dribble that. handoffs, my favorite. That's my favorite play, Glenn. Uh, it, it's, it's, you have to uh, say that phrase together when you're talking to me.
1: Okay, there you go. So, <laughs> so, so that's all there. Like Bam is doing a lot of what Draymond did. for those warriors team in that area in that space but i'll tell you the heat will also get into this kind of space where bam is generating mid-range pull-ups against his defender i'm like have at it bam you know i know he's better than the average center and he's like for centers he's in the 80th 90th percentile or whatever that is you know but have at that, you know, yeah. have fun. We'll live with that. Instead of Duncan Robinson getting free there, you know, with the three-point break and Tyler Harrow, you know, hero doing that too, you know. So on that end, I agree that the Hawks, if they can, can kind of contain that key spot, the elbow, but you mentioned the lifting up towards the three-point break, um, that that will be kind of the key to defending soundly in the half court. And if you can entice them just to, you know, put up, pull up 14 footers, you know, from near the free throw line, have a million of those bam, you know Um, on the other end, I think it'll come down to, I think PJ Tucker starts on trade probably. Um, And, um, but he'll see some Martin on him, you know, Martin defended him Trey a lot in that fourth game that they had this year. And, um, and then, you will also see, like, at the end of that last game they played the last week, the regular season, Butler took a turn the last minute and a half or so on Trey. And so how does Trey kind of deal with the different defenders he throws to him um, and, and such? will be interesting to kind of see how, see how that goes. Um, do they make Trey give the ball up from the very beginning of the first game? Like, the nice game against the Cavs, I thought Bickerstaff had a nice little wrinkle where he kind of saved the real trap towards about two and a half minutes to go. Um, and and it took it cost the Hawks about three possessions to kind of work through that, and luckily they got enough stops on the other end. But will will Spo throw all, all of that at Trey from the very beginning? Will he hold back the more aggressive stuff until game two or three, or three in the very end of game one if it's close? That's that's going to be the stuff that I think really has an impact on the the flow of the series the first few games.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it's funny that you say that because I thought that in some ways tonight's game kind of mirrored that Heat game and that. You know, if you look back at that heat game, uh, you know, to Miami, to give Trey another look at one point, you know, just started switching and they did it with a lineup that had Max Struess in there. And Trey was cooking Struess. Like that was totally, that was not working at all. So, you know, if if Trey has a good rhythm about punishing switches from, from tonight, like that, that's something that he's going to be ready for, for, for game one, but. You know, at the same time, they they flummoxed Trey a little bit late in that game by by trapping and almost like some disguise trapping, like they they kind of conceded the switch. But you know, all of a sudden, you know, here's Butler coming to add another body to it, and I, you know, it, it seemed like it happened after Trey was trying to get into some of his, his okay, beat the beat the switch kind of moves. I don't think he was necessarily expecting when a couple of those traps started coming and it just kind of got the Hawks out of their rhythm. Um, and and it, that that's going to be an interesting wrinkle as far as how and when they time that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think because they're playing the same division and they play four times every year, they know each other. Well, there's that sense of familiarity and I think that always helps the team that's an underdog to kind of just have a more calibrated idea Kind of what it is to go be successful. The Hawks have had enough wins against them the last few years. Um, You know, there's there's so many memorable games. I think for me, like there's the one that everyone remembers when Trey kind of celebrated a win too early down in, and I think that one was in Miami. And then Jimmy made quite a bit of fun of him. You know, after that one, but the Hawks have kind of laid some pretty good uh, kind of results on on them at the same time. And and so um, you know, I. I think if I think I don't know what the exact number is and wins and losses the last few years um, and with the COVID seasons and things like that, there's always some kind of a way you have to think about, you know, how that worked out. But, you know, I, I think the Hawks will not lack for any confidence. And again, that's not typical for an eight, you know, typically I think like a few years ago, I think it was um, Toronto versus Orlando and Orlando got that eight seed and Orlando really just, you know, I, I love Steve Clifford coach teams, but there's just there's no offensive juice on that team. And you know, I'm watching the game tonight, and you know, the Pelicans just beat the Clippers, and they're going to go in against Phoenix. And you know, that's just two teams on completely different you know levels. There, that that's not how I see this one. Um, and, and it's it's going to be interesting. But Trey's going to deal with a lot of physicality, a lot of contact. Um, we'll see how they officiating. Kind of impacts that Trace had to adjust a, a, a you know a reduced um, ability to rely on his free throws to, to generate points all the time. You know it took him a while to kind of get it took him basically the fourth quarter to get his chances tonight. I think so.
0: Miami has kind of the, all the parts you want on defense. I like that you used the 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 word physical there because I think that's sort of the where the heat advantage lies. You know, long long before this involved the Heat or the Hawks, we were talking about PJ Tucker's impact with his physicality for film for Milwaukee last season, and how we thought that that was going to help. You know, later on, we said how that was going to help Miami this season, and I think with with those two, with Lowry and Butler, and Bam, you know, they have a lot of strong guys, and and I think the Hawks, you know, somehow they're going to have to to use agility to their advantage. I think that's, you know, with, with Trey especially, but really up and down, like the, the Miami a strong team. You're not going to beat them that way. I think you're going to have to be quick, especially and it, That's really going to, you know, be something that, that has to happen on defense. I think the Hawks can be better on defense. Uh, they have their moments. And, and I think if they're agile and alert and they use their speed as best they can, on defense, I I think they'll have some chances to, to slow down this Miami offense.
1: Yeah, I I agreed. And I, I think part of it will come down to, you know, hoping Miami misses some shots that they might normally make. And, and I mean, when you're the eight seed, you know, even in any matchup, you know, you're always hoping for a, a little bit of kind of that stuff to kind of go your way, but all you can do is all you can do. So, you know, not giving up free shots at the rim, Closing out on the three pointers, uh, three point shots, three point shooters, um, and just staying tough, um, staying connected, really, really is what they have And and just like you mentioned, you know, a, a bit ago, Miami just doesn't have kind of the offensive of firepower that really should be overwhelming if the Hawks to kind of kind of take care of the basics. And so then on the other end, you know, I like what you said there too. Is is if you let Miami get their defense set, they're going to be really tough. You know, so any opportunity you can to have pace, secondary transition, you know, working fast in the shot clock, um, you know, things like that. Then um, I think that's going to kind of play to their advantage and help them kind of stay away from getting totally bottled up with the physical play and the the size and the strong veteran players um, that they have.
0: All right. Uh, Is there anything else they were forgetting to add here? What my A favorite? Rap. Yeah, my favorite um, kind of statistical
1: result from tonight's game. Uh, I don't have it right from me. I think this is right. Um, Delon was plus twenty four. Anyeka was plus twenty one. Do you have any points they each scored? I know that Delon scored two. They both they each scored two points, and it was they, plus twenty four and plus twenty one.
0: Yeah, they, 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 uh, that Delon played one of the best two point basketball games you're ever going to see. And then the Kongwu, you know, had an absolutely phenomenal stop late that you clipped the video of, where basically he had to show in the lane to get, I think it was Levert to kind of stop right. short for a floater, or actually it was, it, it didn't end up being a floater, it was a lob pass. A Kong then broke up the lob pass, deflected it, and then got the rebound too. And it's like, wow, that that's that's quite a bit. Like it was it was an actual shot attempt. I think I don't know how they yeah. recorded well, the well, it, but it they wasn't just a deflection. His... It was it was like an oop that he broke yeah, up and then he got is, the
1: rebound. This, and it scored a steal. So oh, okay, I I when I saw it, I thought it was a block, but when I went back and clipped it, I was like, I think that was a lob that he kind of got to. Um, but it, it was Mobley, and he was going to be um get a free shot right there at the ram if, if, if he didn't get there and then that was a three point game with like 55 seconds left. that was a <laughs> absolutely massive possession in the game yeah and then and then akongu got fouled right after he possessed the ball um on the still and that's what kind of got them into the kind of the free throw situation but just I mean capella out uh, and him being on the court in the, the game and just having his wits about him and and being focused and knowing, what to prioritize on the play was, was massive. And, you know, I, I don't know how much I buy into it, but a lot of people see a little bit of Bam in in Anyeka, you know, and I I think the ball skills are kind of a little bit similar and the fact that Bam's not a seven footer, I think is kind of, kind of part of that. Um, But it's, I think if we have to watch a game or two without Clint and I hope if that's the case, that's all it is, it's going to be fun to watch those two guys, you know, kind of go up against each other. So, You know, this week, I think the play-in was super fun. Um, Both games tonight were awesome games. Um, And so were the games earlier in the week, and now we're heading into the playoffs. I'm so excited. And, you know, and I think think all four series in the Eastern Conference are all compelling and interesting. Um, I'll spend some time tomorrow kind of formulating more thoughts there. I'm more dialed in on the East right now than the West, but it's going to be fun. And uh, I guess we'll get a one-day break here. (laughs) <laughs> and then when Easter Sunday gets here for some people, the four games on Easter Sunday is going to be a little challenging in terms of managing family commitments and family bandwidth and things like that. But, um, you know, and that, Sarah and I are certainly going to uh, have a, an Easter egg hunt with our nieces here that live a few minutes from us and stuff. But it'll uh, be a fun day overall.
0: To backtrack to your your bam Anyeka comparison, you know, I wrote about a for Hawks dot com this week. Go read that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, but but you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting that I tried to include was that you know, in 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 talking with a Kongu and with Nate McMillan, you know, I I remain convinced that 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 a can be a pretty good shooter. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it might take three, four years. I, I think there can be a point maybe where he's a, a, a truly stretch five, but I asked them both about it. And Onyeka was like, yeah, I'm going to be able to do that. And, and Nate was like, yeah, I don't know. But I think, you know, but, but to get back to the BAM comparison, you know, I think the, the, the thing that Nate said about Onyeka was that, you know, sort of the first step where he could really expand his game and become a, a more important player on the court is that, you know, he could do some of the things like Bam. He didn't mention Bam by name, but you know, he described a lot of the things that Bam does in terms of being a playmaker at the elbow, you know, being able to dribble a little bit, being able to make the right decisions with the passes and things like that. And so he didn't, he didn't mention Bam by name, but he, he certainly envisioned, I think a a Bam like role for Onyeka in the future.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about him. I mean, he already shows so much touch around the rim, you know. And I remember a game earlier this year, I want to say they were playing Charlotte. It was pretty early in the year. And he, he got the ball there at the elbow. It's part of that elbow series they run where um, they'll cut one, cut oftentimes Gallo in one direction and then like cut Trey up the other direction. And and J.C. Um, slipped to the rim. And it was about an 18-foot pass. And I mean, and you could just put it right on the rim, soft, feathery touch. And JC just caught it. And I was like, man, a second year center delivering that pass like on the nose, on the money, with timing, with that touch. And so I'm I'm with Nate. I think the passing shows up as a reliable skill ahead of the shooting. I'm with you though. I think that this, all of the indications that the shooting could be there um, is there too. But I think that's I think every I think most people would agree that's that needs more development at this point down to the passing and even the ball healing, you know, in terms of what you expect from a center. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole package is kind of there. I, I think it is going to take a couple of years um, for whatever perimeter shooting to kind of show up, which would be awesome because that just gives you so much more flexibility with the kind of player you can pair him with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and such, but, um, but I think this is going to be fun. And even if Plant does play, um, and knock on what hope he does, we'll still get plenty of minutes with where Onyek uh, uh, is on with Bam. And that's going to be one of the kind of the major factors here. You know, I, I know I'm going to get frustrated with what PJ gets away with defensively <laughs> and Kyle gets away with defensively. And that's going to be kind of the part of the watch in the series that's a little bit uh, more frustrating for Hawks fans. And I'll be right there too um but that's playoff basketball and you got to work through that I mean that, that was a major factor in the Bucks series last year you know the Bucks have been through this had been through this and know what that's like and know how it's officiated completely ignoring if it's a three-second rules completely you know ignoring hand-checking rules and, and it is a sliding scale situation in the postseason so and you know, hopefully the Hawks got those feedback loops last year and are a little bit uh, kind of uh, further along in that area in terms of acclimating and adjusting and stuff because that's all going to show up here in the Heat series. Not, there's going to be no shortage of gamesmanship and pushing the rules and, and all those areas, especially when the Heat are on defense. But that's why we watch, you know, the Hawks are trying to still continue their upward trajectory, even if this regular season didn't go um, you know, like like everyone hoped. But they have an opportunity to kind of show that their team – seriously in the the postseason even coming out of a um uh regular season when they had to fight their way in here at the end
0: very good yeah it's uh certainly changed the vibe for the whole season i think that agreed they made it this far because i think it would have felt disappointing after last year for for them to get short for, for them to shortchange themselves out of the playoffs really uh but you know injury being a part of that but anyways uh Have a happy Easter, Glenn. And you. Yeah, enjoy the
1: the time with your family. And uh, for me, the game will be at 10 a.m. So I think that's going to work out well for some of the family activities to be after the game. So I think that'll that'll work out fine. So um, hopefully the timing works out for you as well. But, yeah, I'll definitely have time with my nieces and uh, and also make time for the game, too. So looking forward to that.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Glenn.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Mm